Hello, my fellow mods, and welcome to The Perspecta. I'm your host, John O'Neill, and in association with DC Hillier and MCM Daily, DC, Greg, and I just sat around the fire with some ice cream and heard many stories of the life and work of Adrian Pearsall, as told by his son, Jim. Jim recounted opening a restaurant adorned by his father's furniture, told us about the formative years of Adrian's furniture career, covered his life and design philosophies, and we talked a bit about authentication and licensing. Welcome to this familial conversation with Jim Pearsall. Hello there. How are you? I'm well. How are you today? Doing very well. Oh, cool background. I love it. Grasshopper <laughs> lounge chair behind you. You got it. <laughs> it's better better there than if I just show you my family room. The family room is. I've been living alone for the last four days. My wife just arrived, and it's a mess. <laughs> <laughs> I know how that stag uh, weekend goes sometimes. <laughs> But uh, um, but Jim, thank you so much for the taking the time. I mean, it's a, it's a pleasure to speak with you. Are you uh, out in New Hope now? Is that where you're living? I we live in New Hope. We moved here um, 20 years ago. We um, when we first got married, moved to Fort Lauderdale. Oh, right. Um, for no particular reason. <laughs> um, actually, I had a, a the weather's nice. <laughs> I had a, I had a restaurant in Pennsylvania, uh, kind of on Harvey's Lake, which is a summertime resort area sure uh i didn't realize that no one would come there during the winter so after <laughs> uh, that seasonality can be three tough. seasons there and my wife who actually i hired as my first waitress um, oh, wow uh kind of had lived all over the united states her father got transferred a lot and the last place she ended up was in wilkesbury and when I asked her to marry me, she said, I will marry you, but I will not live in Wilkesbury. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we just kind of put our finger on a map. Yeah. Uh, went to Fort Lauderdale and opened a restaurant there. Wow. And uh, it was actually very successful uh, until uh, Fort Lauderdale at that time only had one skyscraper. It's called the Landmark <laughs> Bank Building. That was in 1976 or something like that. Cool. And... Um, uh, so at that time it was great. You know, we had a lot, we were the only restaurant in downtown Fort Lauderdale. Oh, wow. And, uh, but it was, the property was owned by a church and we were renting what used to be one of their church schools. Sure. And, uh, they wanted it back. And that, at that point, Fort Lauderdale was undergoing a lot of building. Yeah. A lot and of change. I, I went to my father and I said, I need a loan cause I needed to go and rent another space someplace and build a restaurant. He said, how much do you need? Yeah. And I said, I need about a million dollars. And he said, <laughs> I think he needs to find another job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Restaurants are um, not, not easy in terms of startup capital. I mean, there's, no. there's so much, especially if you're getting a space, right. That you really have to have to build into, right. um, you know, and sort of transform the kitchen. There's always going to be something, even if you buy yeah. a pre, pre-made it sounds like your your first restaurant in harvey's lake that was like a a bit of a, a ski area or ski lodge that you were able to yeah it's not to exactly i mean it's not like northeastern pennsylvania where we have big mountains or everything like sure. elk mountain or something like that but it, someone as dumb as i was 
<laughs> thought they could build a little ski resort at the top of a hill in Harvey's Lake. And so cool. um, they put in a tow rope and maybe got a small membership there. But after two or three seasons, I, I think it failed. But um, I was... <laughs> I was one of those kids that never did well in school. And um, I mean, I was my freshman year of high school. I, I was asked to leave (laughs) (laughs) with five Fs. Um, And it wasn't because I wasn't smart or anything. I just thought there was something better out there. And um, I asked my parents if they would please send me away to a boarding school. And uh, they New said, experience. Oh, you don't want to go to boarding school. And I said, no, I really do. <laughs> um, I just want out of Wilkes-Barre. I want out of um, every, everyone that I'd gone to nursery school, I was still going to school with, you know, it's right. like one big yeah. family that I wasn't enjoying so much. And, my ta- my uh, town was pretty small too. I know yeah. that feeling. It gets a little clicky. <laughs> it did. And I found a great school um, called the Darrow School, which was a Shaker community. Shakers are uh, a very industrious uh, population. Unfortunately, yeah. they didn't believe in propagation, so that it didn't last too long, about 70 or 80 years. <laughs> that will happen, yeah. yeah. But they were also artists. Uh, yeah, sticklers for quality too, right? Yeah. Uh, in their builds and stuff? Yeah, yeah, really, really good stuff. And there were about 38 kids in my class, and a total of about 120 in the whole school. Wow. And um, really blossomed there. I love doing it. Uh, everything from you know castrating sheep to making maple syrup and yeah. um, just just different people, people that I wasn't accustomed to. Yeah. And, and was that I, specifically for culinary, or was no, that it was just a, every a, a, all a, sorts of exposure? A school for boys that didn't know where they were going. Really. Cool. <laughs> and, cool. uh, um. So I fell in love with the Shaker architecture and um, it was probably the first time I could ever communicate with my father about what he did because that way I really wasn't involved in in what he did. Yeah. Didn't. I mean, I know he made a lot of money selling furniture or making furniture. (laughs) He he was never home. Uh, Right. But now I could actually say, I made a chair, dad. I know what it's all about and or what I thought I knew it was all about. And he yeah. really appreciated that. And he actually appreciated the, the style once I introduced him to it. The yeah. Of mm-hmm. it and everything. So that was sort of like my first love with furniture. Then when my, Very cool. all my teachers at that school found out that my father made furniture, <laughs> I started selling furniture to all my teachers. <laughs> right, right, right. right. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, so that, that's how I got my first introduction to sales. But um, when I was at school, I, I came from a family that loved to cook. I mean, my dad sure. cooked every, he cooked the Sunday dinner. Oh, wow. uh, my mother was not a particularly good cook. So it was somewhat of a bit of a necessity for me <laughs> for breakfast <laughs> yeah. every morning. But um, my roommate and I decided, you know, we could make some extra money for the ski slopes on weekends. If we just could maybe uh, cater some faculty parties yeah. or, or whatever. Get a few people in here. And, and it became a, almost a weekly weekend event for us um cool. one faculty member or another would say hey jim you know we're having some company over for dinner would you cook dinner for us or and after doing that eight or nine ten times we just said hey maybe 
we could run a restaurant this summer. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Right. (laughs) Well, if the space is open, right. And you, you know, I'm sure your father helped maybe helped with some decor or some kind of stuff in in every venture that I did. Um, he would come up with ideas and, uh, and then that gave me an opportunity to actually work side by side with him. I I never knew what I was doing. I almost took my finger off a couple of times, you know, (laughs) (laughs) kitchen's a dangerous uh, place. (laughs) And my dad was one of those people that he didn't say, this is what we're going to make. He said, let's try this. And it was, Ugh, it would drive you nuts because we take it apart three times, four times, and rebuild it and rebuild it. <laughs> yep. And uh, but um, yeah, the, he was instrumental in, in furnishing this little ski lodge that we had. Cool. And it, so I had a good friend that I grew up with. I had um, my roommate from um, school, and Dad had found this abandoned ski lodge not too far from where we had a summer house. And I put a menu together and hired my sister as a waitress. My brother was the maitre d'. He was 13. <laughs> and so we cool. were opening Family uh, affair. That's beautiful. six days a week um, with a, a limited menu of um, three entrees, three soups, three appetizers, uh, one salad, three desserts. And a, I think our price fix was $9.99. Oh, <laughs> wow. Fortunately, we had some really great customers, and one of them actually wrote to Craig Claiborne, who was the food editor of the New York Times, and said, you wouldn't believe what these young teenagers are doing. You've got to come and see this. She wrote that letter at the end of our first season, and um, he didn't get to come, but he said, if they open it again, let me know, and I'll be there. Sure. And uh, a year later, he came out, and um, I didn't even know who Craig Claiborne was. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, he came out and uh, did a story on us, which was almost a full page in the New York Times in his food section. And, it's incredible. Um, so that's how I got my start in the restaurant business. Yeah, but it also gave me a chance to, you know, blend in with my dad and what he yeah. was doing. And my mm-hmm. father was one of those people, Jim. You know, if you if you do anything, try to work for yourself. And he said, you know, you can work for other people, but you'll never yeah. make as much money as if. You didn't do it yourself. Just you know? less mouths to feed, right? In the right, chain. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I hear you. I don't know that he was particularly, you know, wanted to be in, me to be in the restaurant business or anything, but that's what I knew how to do. And right. I knew how to do it fairly well. Yeah. Um, and I really enjoyed doing it. Um, yeah. So. And that's so cool to be able to come together. Um, I mean, it, it does, it sounds like between, you know, some of the shaker influence as well as um, how you've described uh, you know, working with your dad to get things right. You know, he really seemed to bring that commitment to to quality and and sort of um, you know just the the right sort of solution for that that problem. Um, is that they similar to a lot? And he, they uh, were entertained a lot. You know, in his business, sure. so he he, he probably had some the experience fi- all there the too. finest restaurants, and he knew what good service was. And yeah. um, my mom, particularly, you know, how to set a table or you know and just every, everything that made their dining experiences special. They wanted to see right. me do and share right. that with me. And I was happy to do that. And yeah. That's where it all started. And I, I feel like too, that's, that's, we, we've brought up this concept a couple of times of a bit of like a polymath, right. And it's somebody who's, who kind of brings the same philosophies to a number of different fields and, and might excel at them. It sounds like your dad may have, you know, certainly followed into that category between furniture and, you know, it's, it sounds like sailing and, and restoration, um, yeah. Did he bring an overall design philosophy 
like to those things and, and sort of a, a commitment to, to that quality? You know, dad, I'm definitely, you know, his son because he was not a good student either. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and his father was a one room school headmaster. Uh, in even in smaller click. <laughs> yeah. In Trumansburg, New York. And, um, it was kind of embarrassing for his father cause dad would half the time never show up to school. But, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> and, wait, and he was his, his teacher. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, that's tough. But, uh, he eventually, uh, I think he, I can't remember where he initially went to school. Uh, I think Oklahoma state, but then he decided to join the Navy and after the Navy, the war was ending, he got out of the Navy and he got the GI bill to go to school and he was accepted to university, Illinois, uh, school of architecture. Oh wow! Who knew, you know, yeah. <laughs> that he had an aptitude for that or anything, Yeah. but he, he graduated from there. Um, my mom had just graduated from college and she was visiting a, current bow at Cornell University. Uh, and my dad was from that area sure. near Ithaca, New York. He was getting on the train to go enlist in the Navy. She was on the train going home back to Wilkesbury. Um, really? And he sat down next to her on the train, really hit it off on that two and a half hour train ride. Yeah. And, uh, he said, when he got off the train, um, I think I'd like to marry you someday, but I'm going into the Navy or something <laughs> like that. And he was Pretty slick forward. guy. Yeah, saw what he liked, <laughs> yeah. did something about it, and uh, he came back <laughs> and married her. And she wanted to stay in the Wilkesbury Scranton area, so yeah, that's where he started his business. And um, his first job was as a, a draftsman for an architect in Wilkesbury, place he yeah. had in Davis. And uh, but it was a family-owned firm, and he wasn't family, and he just knew that wasn't going anyplace. Probably got it. Didn't really love it. And, uh, but he stayed there for, I think two or three years. Yeah. And, um, my mom had, uh, several older brothers who were, um, very creative themselves, uh, and successful in business. They were making ball bearings for the army for oh, airplanes yeah. and things that yeah. one of them had walked into a hardware store locally and he overheard a government official asking the owner of the store can someone make us these ball bearings and he piped up and <laughs> really? said, I can. And uh, that led to a very successful career for them. Sure. So wow. when they were introduced to my mom, you know, the boyfriend, um, yeah. he was telling them what he liked to do and what he wanted to do someday was make furniture. And they saw what he had done and really thought it was great. And I think maybe loaned wow. them a couple thousand dollars to get started. And Cool. And was he at the time sort of, you know, in the, I guess, I think I heard it described as the wood shop in the basement. Was he, mm -hmm. you know, starting to experiment a little bit? I think he was working with what he could get. So sure. the house was a house that my grandmother owned and it was a duplex. So they were on one side, grandma was on the other side. And uh, it's pretty hard to get a saw, a bandsaw or anything down <laughs> yeah. in the basement of a duplex. True. Um, what he could get was a vice. Okay. And so the first things that he made were wrought iron, you know, just bending legs right. and arms and, right. and, and maybe a couple of boards for a back. Sure. Um, Post-war, it was very hard to get fabric. So mm -hmm. you want black nylon? Do you want white <laughs> nylon or 
some, something in between yeah uh and put those on so the, and and then then be able to get it out of the basement you know so <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Once, once you assemble it you know right. it's like i've made this creation but now we gotta you gotta pivot so <laughs> he did that for i think possibly two years um and mostly furnishing his brother-in-law's homes or, or whatever wow and um after that he got a well be, before even before that he my mom and he loaded they bought a trailer a small pick you know the little little trailer and put everything that they had made and um went into philadelphia made appointments my mom was not afraid to call anybody and so she called one <laughs> makers and said my husband's making furniture i want to show it to you and wow. they'd say oh Okay, or I maybe the buyer didn't know, but the secretary made the appointment because she felt sorry for my mom. Or <laughs> I really don't know what. Hey, that I know sales. That, I know As their, you know, <laughs> right? Their first trip was not that great. They got to Wanamaker's. The buyer would not come down. He said, "I don't come down to anyone's truck to look at their furniture." And wow! But my mom Missed called him again, he, he and said, that's why they're no longer around, ladies right. and gentlemen. <laughs> and uh, my mom said, "Well, what do you need if you don't need any furniture?" She says, "Actually, what I'm looking for is someone to make me napkins." My mom said, "I can make you napkins," and uh, he wow. said, "You can." And so mom and dad went up to his office. She drew out the napkins, and he said, "All right, I need 400 of those." And how fast can you get them? And so they settled on a deal. Mom and dad celebrated. They went out to dinner and realized that mom had um, underpriced them and that they actually had lost about a hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a startup. <laughs> that's a startup. Yeah, there you go. Um, but actually yep. it turned into an excellent relationship and, and sure. you know, over the years became really good buyers. And uh, that, so, and then after wow, that, I think he took, cool. took a little bit of that money and got a shop that maybe they could put in two or three bandsaws. And uh, his brother, his younger brother, joined him at that point. He had a had a planned on a career in the Air Force, but um, Dad made him an offer he couldn't refuse, which sure. was you know, have to serve in the military. <laughs> so, um, and and Uncle Dick was kind of like the financial side of everything. He sure. was he was a good math student and everything. Yeah, and my father was. You know the creative side, but they both worked side by side on saws. I don't right. know how long that didn't last very long. I don't sure. think. And that's, that's really where it started. Yeah. And that helps to hatch, you know, sort of a vision for, you know, the style I would imagine. And even now the way that you've described some of the experimentation sort of in a small quarters, right. I could see why you might end up with a sculptural sort of look to it. Right. So if you're, if you're limited and I think I think about creative constraint a lot. You know, mm -hmm. does that help you produce something that that's better because you were constrained? I but think yeah. if you can only do so much with a two by four or a four by four, right? right. And you start whittling down on it because you don't have that much space to to make some huge cuts. You right. know, maybe you end up with something that really. And how do you make like shapes out of wood if you don't have a saw? Right. So foam foam was coming into you know really just the beginning of foam no one had sure. thought about sculpturing foam they were yeah. i don't know what they were doing with it maybe seat cushions but they weren't they weren't carving it they weren't cutting it and he figured out a way um after a while to you know do that and apply glue to it and then apply frames to it and so it, it definitely necessity um right 
and when you're confined like that, what what can I make in this space? What can I bend to get out of this right. room that I've uh, built right. uh, this thing in? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow, that's that's very special. Awesome. And then you know, it sounded like some of these relationships went well, and just he kind of kept continuing to refine and and build the company up. The um, they they really invested a lot of their time in going to. Um, furniture shows for manufacturers, which sure. in those days were typically held in armories in different cities, like the, the armory in New York or yep. the armory in Chicago. And they spent a lot of time traveling. And um, I spent a lot of time traveling with them because they couldn't afford a babysitter or anything. <laughs> um, so I flunked first grade too. <laughs> <laughs> well, Never it sounds like it was for good reason. <laughs> but he made you were some, getting you were getting all that culture absolutely right? and, and it's where i learned about food too because um they didn't leave me in a hotel room we would have dinner with the firestones at, at goodyear and we would have dinner wow. with so-and-so people and i was always there yeah. uh, and occasionally my mom would say you know he doesn't belong at that meeting i'll take him shopping at neiman marcus why dad's doing this you know <laughs> go to the fashion show so i was at a lot of fashion shows too <laughs> Um, but, but that's, I mean, so organically the way that you're, you're telling, you know, that the story about how this sort of continued to, to morph, right. You've got, you know, cultural influences, you've got fashion influences, you know, potentially around patterns and or textiles, you've got, you know, different, um, you know, different business minds coming together and, mm -hmm. and sort of talking about probably manufacturing in many senses post-war, Right. Um, so I could see why, you know, that collective sort of environment helped, helped your, your father to become really so prolific as he honed in on his style. And there were a lot of, um, family members that, that really were integral, maybe not a direct relation. Um, for instance, my uncle's wife's brother was, um, a salesman. He was just a born salesman. Sure. My father was, you know, not a salesman. In fact, if he sees a salesman coming, he runs, you know, <laughs> kind of like, and uh, so he kind of gave that part of the business to that guy to manage. Right. And his name was Ray Kresge, um, been Philadelphia native. And um, he was the guy that got it sold. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and other, other young men that were just coming back from the military or, you know, that didn't have jobs just kind of flocked and it, and it grew, but it was a friendly group and it, right. and it grew rapidly almost more at some point too rapidly yeah. you know which is not a good thing either sure um never saw dad you know we were the kids that when didn't you're have focused. dinner with dad yeah, <laughs> you know, no, you know, I... we were fed at five dad came home at eight you know right. and he was out of right. out of the house at six but um, right. it's all worth it <laughs> yeah well then so what what kind of pieces at this point in time sort of in the company's maybe early phase um, what sort of pieces were being made? Were those, those chairs? Well, the first ones those... were iron and, and yep. then, um, in the initial part of once actually having a factory, it was basically a straight sofa or day bed with mm -hmm. some either iron legs or turned, um, walnut legs that he didn't manufacture. He yeah. just bought, you know, yeah. put them on, um, fabric selection became easier. Um, right. but what, the, the look that really took off was a sofa or a love seat with end tables attached. It was a yeah. one piece sofa. And that 
throughout his career was a signature piece. Um, the, the integrated tables were yeah. so popular. But here's the thing about, now I follow auctions, I followed them, I'm a collector and I've followed them for a while. Right. And there's always been somewhat, for the longest time, that Adrian Pearsall pieces, as well made as they were, as good a quality as they were, they were sort of second tier within the auction market. And then Wright hmm. in Chicago about 10 years ago brought up, it wasn't just integrated tables, there was also drawers on the tables as well for this particular couch. And it sold like well, way above estimate. Uh, now I share to a fairly large social media network of, of followers and fans or whatever you want to call them. They love Pearsall pieces. They are the easy likes winner. People just overwhelmingly <laughs> like them. That's good. One of the people that follow me is a very, very high end, a European auction house. And I was going through their uh, things they had uh, for sale. And I found, I saw uh, it was a very beautiful, low, sort of slightly, not necessarily L-shaped, but an angled sofa. And I recognized oh, it, right. it's a caster seat. It was an Adrian Pearsall piece. And as I was going through their sh showcase of things they had for sale, they would go out of their way to bring in Adrian Pearsall, particularly the sofas, into a Europe. I won't mention their name, but into a Europe. And an Adrian Pearsall sofa with an integrated table or the back table on the corner, they sell those for an excess of $25,000 US now. <laughs> it's nothing really? for them. And they sell. They, they have buyers. They, ship, they fly buyers into the US to find as many Adrian Pearsall pieces as possible and to get them back to Europe where they'll often refinish the wood or reupholster them. And they look amazing and they can't wow. keep them in stock. Uh, gondola sofas in particular are hugely popular. Anything with an overly, not necessarily overly, but a very nicely sculpted base or leg always sells out. So yeah, no, the, if you look at it that way, was it worth the effort? Well, it certainly left an incredible legacy of people that are willing to put out quite a bit for your father's work. It's, and it took a while getting there, but I'm happy to say, and I'm very pleased to say. Well, that we, we didn't know there. he was famous you know, <laughs> until 15 years ago, really, but right. we, we had no distribution in Europe at all. Um, and the chair behind me um, actually came as a result of a phone call from someone who knew I was doing this authentication online and everything. Sure. He said, I have, he said, when I was in the air force, I bought this chair. I fell in love with it. He was a pilot and he, I think was overseas on three different occasions as a post and everywhere he went, that chair went. Oh, and wow. so it's been cool. around the world a couple of times. And <laughs> yeah. He was nice enough to call me and he said, you know, I don't know if you would have any interest in this chair. I don't know how much it's worth. Mm -hmm. And, Quite frankly, I live in a colonial. <laughs> you know, it's not like I'm out there collecting. I want it. I want it for my kids. Sure, it, sure. it really doesn't fit in my house. Um, it does now. I think it looks great yeah, in the house. But um, <laughs> the uh, but he was so kind, and he said, "How much is it worth?" And I said, "Well, to me, it's really you know five or six hundred dollars." Right. And he. I said, but you'll get a lot more on that if you put it online. He says, no, I really don't want to go to the hassle of it. And I want a pure salt to have it. So we drove down to Washington, D.C., picked it up that day, barely fit in the car, but we got it in. <laughs> and um, I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah. And that is the original fabric on it. I haven't touched it. Wow. I haven't re-glued it. I, have, I haven't done anything to it. Um, the 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 sofas that you were referring to, one of the drawbacks with those was their size. And I imagine getting it to mm -hmm. Europe, it's even bigger of a problem. They're like 110 inches long. Yeah. They're, they're, 
They're and large. especially that sort of 45 degree, degree or 60 right. degree oh, yeah, angle, the angle one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't come apart either. I mean, <laughs> yeah, they're well made. <laughs> but we have tons of stories about those. Uh, Maurice Valencia in New York would sell them. And to, and he, well, he thought he sold them until they tried to deliver them to in these apartments to get them into an <laughs> elevator. Uh, they figured out how they could put them on top of an elevator you know, and go one floor below and then pull them out the doors out that. And then they get all the way down to the hallway to realize that they couldn't wow. get into the apartment or whatever. So there were modifications wow. for the New York city and the Chicago crowds, but uh, yeah, the original ones didn't, didn't go far from home. Right. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. Um, and it, it, it sounds like, so at what point, you know, you said about 15 years ago, uh, it started to become clear that really it sounds like there needed to be an authority on, you know, um, making even, sure certifying that long and, ago. and authenticating. It, um, well, of course, you, you know this, um, but um, Kraft Associates, my father sold in 1970 to the Lang Company. Sure. And um, he was 40 years old when he sold it. And... Uh, it was kind of shocking because we said, dad, what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we know, we know how you are, dad. <laughs> You're going to need well, a project or right. something. <laughs> he said, I've been thinking about that. Um, so we bought a, uh, they bought a condo in Key Biscayne, a nice big one. And he said, we're all going to move to Florida. I said, all right, that sounds cool. And we were, I think we had been there three days and uh, he got a phone call. It was, I think on New Year's Eve, actually. Cool. And it was from a gentleman named John Graham, who was my age and was my neighbor growing up. And John was in Texas working for the Peace Corps and called my father out of, they were just good friends. He was a yeah. good person. Neighbor knew And he other. said, you know, I think I'd like to get into the furniture business. What do you think about that? And Dad said, hmm, well, you know, I just retired. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> he said, I know. And, Fre fresh uh, off retirement a couple of days he later. He said, I so. am under a no compete clause with the land company for a couple of years, but I can make a trip out to Dallas and we could talk. So they went out and got together and had dinner. And dad said, look, I, I can't, I can't work for you. I can't do anything with you. Uh, but take a look at the back of this napkin, go home and make it. <laughs> and tell me what you think. And John did that. And dad said, yeah, you got it. You did it. Uh, now go try to sell it. And so John <laughs> took it around and he said, all right, my year's up. I'm, I'll be there. <laughs> and, and they started a company called Comfort Designs. Wow. And that was another cool. uh, 20 or 30. Years. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, that was, uh, you know, after you retire, you gotta, you right. gotta find something to do. And, and as DC <laughs> knows, yeah. And you don't come up with the ideas every year. You have your low points, your high points. Yeah. And in the furniture business, there are what's called freelance designers and totally acceptable. I mean, you call it Adrian Pearsall owned the company, but Adrian Pearsall didn't necessarily design everything. Sure. And we had a, he had a lot of good connections by then and um, a very diverse uh, kind of selection, far more than Craft Associates ever had. Sure. Um, but Craft more, Associates. More so, um, you know, sofas and. Um, I would say almost know, total chairs. house, you know, okay. like oh, wow. dining room, sofas, oh, cool. you know, pretty much everything. Um, 
um, at craft, the, how would I say this? I, at craft, we had a, a really good team of, um, sales reps, excellent sales reps. Sure. Um, the best in their industry. And at one point, the largest employer in Pennsylvania, um, you know, craft wow. is with 1700 employees. Uh, it, it was big. Wow. Yeah, but one of the very few furniture factories that wasn't in North Carolina or South Carolina or Georgia it yeah. wasn't part of the in crowd. <laughs> <laughs> right, and yeah, that's, um, that's, again pretty clicky, <laughs> very <bet>. clicky. <laughs> and uh, and the Lane Company thinking, you know, the, we're the biggest, yeah. and and being in Alta Vista, Virginia, said yeah. we can incorporate this. My dad was. They didn't have a contemporary division, so they needed. They wanted Adrian Pearsall to, to right. grow even more. Right. My dad um, started his day on the loading dock, and uh, probably designed more in his bedroom at night, you know, than a, not at his desk. He, yeah. he was more concerned about getting the furniture out in one piece and um, making sure it was quality. And yeah. um, that didn't really fit in with the Lane hierarchy. Um, the day they bought the company, there was a parking sign. It's a parking for president, parking for this, you know, parking for that. And my father took them all down. And he said, "No, that's not who the parking's for. The parking wow. is for our, our suppliers, our you know visitors, or whatever." Yeah, customer and, first. Yeah. And Dad ate lunch, his lunch on the loading dock with the guys every day. It didn't yeah. matter. I, every, it never changed. That's where he had his lunch. I had to work there as my first job. But, sure. you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the privileged Jim Pearsall working, you know, I was, <laughs> yeah, you were earning I, it, I was right? the guy with the glue all over my hands and in my hair, you know, and, uh, and I was there at six 30 in the morning and I didn't get to go home like everyone else did at three 30. Cause my dad didn't go home to seven. So I was, <laughs> I was yeah, you had your own headmaster here. Right. <laughs> And he, he worked. Yeah. I mean, we're, so you were, you were doing some manufacturing yourself and then, you know, did, how did your roles progress at craft? No, I was and, a laborer uh, at, at, okay. at, 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 uh, craft associates when, when I, um, got out of college and opened the restaurants and, um, uh, and then ended my restaurant career when we decided we wanted children and children and a restaurant were not a good mix. Late, I, late hours. And, and my uh, dad wouldn't give a million dollars to open another restaurant. He said, maybe you should look into maybe representing us. And I said, is there a representing job available there? And he said, no. And he didn't own the sales company. I mean, sure. it was part of the company, but he didn't, right. own it. he didn't direct it. And he said, I'm not, he said, we're going to have to, go through some hoops here. I said, and I kind of like, what do you mean, dad? You own comfort <laughs> design. Why, why can't I have a sales? Said, you, know, you know, these guys are good. You know, are you a salesman? And I said, yeah, I, I don't know, but I think I could be. Yeah. He said, actually, I've seen you in the restaurant. You're out there on the floor selling this, that, you know, I think you could do it. Yeah. Um, it wasn't easy. I had to spend uh, takes time. A, a repetition. <laughs> I had to I had to spend a month with the Texas rep traveling Texas. I spent a month with the New York City rep traveling New York. Wow. But meeting wonderful people and seeing what a really good salesman was, what a really sure. good salesman did. Yep. And they were they were home less than I was as a restaurant. <laughs> you know? If you're um, good and you're out on the road yeah. and you're you're making those connections, oh, I I, but know the, I I know the drill. You know, there's there's something about as a kid, I really couldn't couldn't relate to my father. But wow, you know, when when 
when you know how hard people work to sell his stuff, how hard he works to make it and everything, it yeah. was something I was privileged to do. Yeah. And I Very really, cool. I, I loved that job. Absolutely. And and look, when you're selling, you have an even deeper connection, right? But when you're, when you're selling a quality product, I just happen to know, you know, you can really let that, that passion fly. And you know that, you know, when that person gets that piece of furniture and it's the right one for them, they're going to love it. I mean, you can go one step further and say, Hey, my dad, uh, <laughs> my dad yeah, crafted helps. this. It does, it does help just a little bit. It right. does help, yeah. but it's about representing it to your point. And right. you know, the, the, the other thing I'll say just about business a little bit too, is that when you really know, in my opinion, all the steps that went into, you know, that, that craft, maybe being a laborer, you have that empathy for the people who are doing mm. that and you can represent that outwardly. Um, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing better than that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and some of the, I mean, some of those people are still living um, or will be in touch with me and say, I remember when you came to work for your dad, you know, you were so nice and you know, whatever. And uh, um, when Lane came in um, because they were a Southern company, yep. uh, unions sort of tried to infiltrate and everything. And, you know, of all the employees and everything, and there were a few that would, would have preferred to have a union, but basically uh, they said, Adrian Pearsall has always taken care of us, you know, no matter if mom's in the wow. hospital or, you know, he, said, he was truly loved, everyone there in management was truly loved. Uh, yeah. they, they were good people. Took sounds, care like of a, there is, sounds like a there, leader. There, if I may, there is a photo of him um, standing next to a sailboat and the ocean behind him. And he's simply standing there. I will say he looks awfully fit. Um, <laughs> but with this big, there's this really sincere, almost most welcoming expression with a smile on his face. It was yeah. just, and when I see that photo, and I think I shared it with you, John, I believe recently. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He looks like such a nice guy, not just a creative guy and a hard worker and a, and a dedicated father. He just looks like a really nice, approachable guy. If you saw that guy, he'd be the first person you'd go to ask directions from because you know he'd help out. <laughs> and, and so I, that's what I always think when I look at that. Like, we don't know, as, as collectors, we only know the object. We only know the end result of the effort that went into it and the blood, sweat, and tears. We don't know the individuals behind it. And that's why it's great yeah. to talk to you right now because yeah. it's really fleshing out this three-dimensional character. It's really wonderful to put so much behind a face and not just a face of course in his, himself but the wonderful designs he had it's just yeah. nice to hear these stories he, I, i'm he, so happy to hear he was a nice guy he didn't <laughs> yeah. have any he had no ego whatsoever he um he truly enjoyed everything that he did he loved working he loved sailing um mm. you know he his his, his stepmom um his his dad had three wives all all of them died in childbirth, I mean, all wife one and three in a row, um, and uh, but he was raised by a British mom, um, who I think, well, I think she, by the time he came around, he she was older, and but she really encouraged him and and sailed with him, although she couldn't swim, you know, oh, wow. and, and he was a lifeguard in in Ithaca. Um, and you know, he was, he was a little bit of a, a risk taker, you know, he drove a little too fast, played a little too hard, maybe, <laughs> but, uh, uh, he, he was genuinely a nice guy and he was very competitive. Um, sure. Yeah. Every, every summer, um, 
at one time or another, a, a supplier or a salesman would show up and spend a couple of nights with us. And his favorite thing to do was beat him in ping pong. And those, <laughs> those ping pong battles would go on till two in the morning. I mean, and I, my I room was it. above the ping pong table and I could <laughs> just hear him going at it constantly. That's great. Yeah. Now was, was that in that house in uh, what is it? Is it 40 Fort the town? Yeah, that's that was one of the we also had a, most of the people that came to visit us came during the summer. We had a summer house at Harvey's Lake. Okay, and actually, it. that's another house that he sort of built. He built a, a, a fairly traditional on a very narrow piece of shoreline and added on um, four rooms to the end of the house all in a row. Kind of looked like a Motel 6. Sure, right? sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, but they were all floor to ceiling sliding glass doors of every bedroom. Every bedroom had its own bath. Um, and then a, a catwalk on the outside of those rooms, which mm. basically overlooked the dock and onto the lake. And, um, it wow. was, this is amazing. My wife and I were riding along about a week ago in the car. We were looking for an Airbnb up in Maine sure. and one comes up in Harvey's Lake, Pennsylvania, and it's my parents' house. And oh. it, it is no mention of Adrian Pierce, all no, nothing, <laughs> but they say the coolest Airbnb in Pennsylvania, 800 right. and some dollars a night, right, <laughs> you know? right, but right. no mention of Adrian Pearsall or anything, but it, it is somewhat of an iconic looking place. I bet. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. have to check that out. Maybe we'll go, uh, <laughs> maybe we'll go record a podcast, uh, there or something. Have a sure, little soiree I had on location. Yeah. 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 My wife and I had our first date there. I brought her home to meet my parents. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Hopefully Beautiful. to impress her with the house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right on, right on. Yeah. And so that that's because of that architecture training, really that he Absolutely. that he went through. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And, wow. and that's why he, although he wasn't the lead architect or anything on his house in '44, um, sure. he hired a, an engineering firm to to build that and everything. But he did do a lot of the drawings, and it was a very very special house. Um, I don't think we knew it at the time as kids growing up. And sure. I didn't live there very long because I was, that was when I was going to high school. Yeah. Um, but this house it was everything about our passions. One passion in our house was ice cream. We all ate ice cream every night and we didn't eat <laughs> just a little. There was no such thing as a little dish of ice cream, even for my grandmother, who was forbidden to eat chocolate. But we supplied her every night with chocolate ice cream anyway. <laughs> um, we had a commercial ice cream dispensing that held, uh, I think six or eight of those big containers, you know, that you right, know, right. an ice cream store yeah. plus the soda water and all the syrups and toppings and everything. And, wow. uh, we had a, a round fireplace in the family room with beanbag chairs all around it. Um, yeah. So did he invent, basically invent the beanbag chair? My father was not afraid to copy. And, sure. um, or at least improve upon, yeah. which I think is pretty common in the furniture it. industry. It's yeah. kind of like the best compliment you can do. And my father always said, you know, when he was asked why, why you don't um, trademark or patent any of these things, he said, it's, it's like women's fashion gyms. What, you know, the dress that they introduced last year, anyone could care less about if it got copied the following year. Right. Right. Um, now I was always under the impression that, it was an Italian collective called Sacco, C S A C C O, in 1968. I actually know the month. Weirdly, <laughs> it was May 1969. Sorry, they introduced the first, apparently the first beanbag chairs, and, and they're still making them today. So and that's when did what I. Make- 
Well, that's what I had heard. Although I heard it was more like a bed than it was a chair. I, I don't it know. It was very big. Yeah. He had, he had been to Milan. He had seen this in Milan. Oh, wow. And um, that's where they're based. <laughs> but, the, but the story goes, so dad said, well, I'm not sure what they were making him in Milan, uh, but dad decided to make his out of leather. And he taped, he shaped it more like a teardrop or a Hershey kiss and um, wasn't sure what to fill it with. And, and certainly didn't know, you know, how bad little styrofoam beans can be when they fall out of thing and didn't, didn't put linings in them. And so there were, there were some missteps, Um, but he actually, it was a last minute thought. And um, as you know, the furniture industry, every six months puts on a show called high point, you know, where all the manufacturers show their, what their new introductions are. And um, dad, as a a last minute thought said, I'm going to put this on the plane when we go to high point. And my uncle was with him and he's the finance guy. And um, he said, don't embarrass us, Adrian, don't take that. with you." (laughs) And um, the guy's taking the luggage out of the car and, and dad, handed him some money. He said, don't let him see it, but I want this on the airplane. And the guy <laughs> said, yes, sir. That's and uh, they're on the plane. My uncle's looking out the window and he sees the guy taking it to the bank. He says, Adrian, I told you, no, you will embarrass us. That cannot go on the floor. And so they got to high point, set up the showroom. That night, my father went back to the showroom after the doors are closed and everything, put it out on the floor. Yes. Next morning awesome. there, they were lining up to make truckload orders of them. Wow. So, you know, he, I what never you know, asked you know. him if he, I, I would never <laughs> ask him if he copied it, but sure. you know, people no, would stand outside like an of his showroom and copy shape. his stuff all day long, you know? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, Jim, I, can I think mean, of a few who are copying your father for sure. <laughs> right, re- relevant right topic is—is yeah. is that why you? It seems like uh, I went to the the website you guys have have had up for a bit. Yeah. Is that why you pulled down a number of images because so, you, you you saw people? So when Dad died, my my brother, who you know was the youngest of the group and probably had more interaction with my father, and he says, you know, Dad was pretty famous, and I said, really, you know, kind of like he said. <laughs> Yeah, he said, and his partner said to him, "You know, you really need to do something to protect your father." Sure. Yeah. Um, and I was in the furniture business, and and but you know, there was so much furniture. I mean, what am I? I have a job to do. I I don't have time to catalog all <laughs> right. this and everything. Right. And and this was sort of like I'd had some computer training in college and everything, but I didn't know how to yeah. set up a web page or anything like that. And um, my brother's partner said, look, you know, I'll help you get a website, but you really need to do this. I thought, okay, great. Let's make a, a tribute would be to his university. Let those architecture students have a catalog or something. I didn't have a, none of us had catalogs. They belong to the reps. The reps put them in stores When the stores went out of business. They went in the trash and maybe a rep kept a copy, but there, there weren't many copies. And um, so I, I had a, a one, what his I think it was his purchasing manager had a, a full catalog and typically in those days if something was discontinued you pulled it out of the catalog and threw it <laughs> yeah, away for a function right yeah, right. yeah, yeah. and um, <laughs> never to be seen again right. fortunately for us this particular person 
had a full catalog of everything my father and and he put little notes on didn't fly wow. you know th- didn't right, right. do this you know and uh, <laughs> doesn't fit through uh doorways in new york city and he handed <laughs> it over to me and i think what really set this all in motion was we went to file a name of uh, craftassociates.com and it wasn't yeah. available and we're going huh like, who would want a, that name right and it turned about to be these people um not quite sure where they were at that time in their lives uh, in Texas, I think decided to call them craft associates. And, you know, all I can say is that they were very good at duplicating identically some pieces that you wow. know, really made dad famous. And I mean, we, we were angry and yeah. um, our intention was to share this with, you know, with the university, with students of design, whatever. Right. And, and, I had managed over a couple of months to get everything up online. And all of a sudden I said, wow, um, this, and then we contacted an attorney uh, and they said, basically, Jim, you need to establish yourself as the authority. Sure. Forget about the name. You know, you can call it something else. You can yeah. be adrianpearsall.com. Um, Craft Associates isn't nearly as important as protecting his designs. And yeah. you can't do that without, being the authority. And I said, well, how do you do the, how do you be an authority? Well, make yourself like if someone wants to authenticate it, right. You can do it. You yeah, have yeah, the catalogs yeah. to prove that he designed it or manufactured it. Yep, and yep. Um, so that's what we did. And um, uh, it took a long time and, and I'm not a graphic designer. I you sure. know, did the best I could. Um my niece is uh, an architect and she said she's going to take over the redesign of the website and everything. Oh, beautiful. Uh, but, um, basically, uh, it, it started, it was like lunch money and I, I didn't <laughs> want the money. I, I didn't right, need right, the right. money. I think but I, it, it does, initially it, does it was $25, it. you know, and I'll authenticate it and I'll give you a little story about my dad. Yeah. Now it is a, um, it's more than lunch money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. I I'm bet. surprised when you and said twenty five dollars. I'm going. That's that's way underpriced for authentication. <laughs> yeah, and it uh, should be. So I mean, you know, it was hard. You know, everything that was coming in was different. I had to go through the catalogs and flip all the pages, and then tell them the story about when I thought it was made and and everything, and how to take care of the walnut and and, and right. things like that. And then I thought, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. And, and <laughs> You know, people were, I don't know who they were pretending to be, you know, and I thought they would pontificate about how great my father was. Like, yeah, he's good, you know, but he's not <laughs> what you think he was. He wasn't the master of design. He never thought he was the master of design. Sure. And, uh, but eventually uh, it, it gives us just more strength. The internet, unfortunately, lives forever. There are places where you can, and I'm not going to tell you where they are or yeah. you know, your listeners where they are, but you, you can find pretty much everything that um, he he did at, at one place or another. Sure. Um, and we've there, tried there to- is one chair. There is one chair of his, though, <laughs> that I know for a fact is hugely popular with dealers in Chicago. Um, they're always looking for them, but it is a great looking chair because of the absurdly high back. 
Yes. The Slim Jim. The Slim Jim. Name after me, by the way. Is it? Is it? I was going to ask that. Dad always called it the Slim Jim chair. Yeah. They were actually in our dining room as well. Uh, They're such great looking chairs. Little built in headrests that you can sit on the top of it. It's just a great chair. But there's a guy in Chicago who claims to have sold the most of them because no matter what the condition they're in, people line up to buy them. Uh, it's they, just, I don't know what they sell for it, but it's got to be you know, a few thousand at least just one in any And they're, they're not a strong chair. The, the the legs on them are long. If someone leans back in them, they'll, they'll yeah. collapse. But mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, but like sort it's of getting to back to the house. Slim gym. <laughs> yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Getting back to the house and what I grew up with, we had, um, it was all my father's furniture, of course. I got to design my own bed, which he made for me. Wow. Uh, which was a bunk bed, um, kind of like a gondola, two gondolas on a, on a perch wow. and on an iron base. And, um, is that still around? It actually <laughs> is. Um, my brother uh, has a place in Newport, Rhode Island and mm-hmm. has an Airbnb and he put it in the Airbnb as, um, one of the rooms. Wow. My kids want it. Uh, the problem is it weighs about 2000 pounds yeah. a and, bit of a process <laughs> and um, none of us, none of them have a home that they can really put it into. Sure. Um, let alone get it out of where it is. From a collecting, from a collecting point of view, you can't say there are very many one-off Adrian Pearsall designs. That's true. I'm assuming this is a one-off. It's definitely. Yeah. 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 yeah, I can see a lot of people lining up for that one. Sure. <laughs> my kids all want it. Right, you know, I said, no, you right, don't, first. because you feel yourself getting it, to, <laughs> only to find out it won't fit in your house. Right, right, uh, right. Measure, measure well. Measure twice. <laughs> but, our, yeah, but our house, besides the ice cream thing, was a very large kitchen um, with a center island, um, yeah. a uh, full-length shuffleboard, uh, indoor shuffleboard thing. Love that. The width of the house. Mm-hmm. A library, which was the center of the living quarters, with um, a huge, um, not a sun, whatever you call them, uh, skylight, skylight. O- mm-hmm. over it. But it wasn't a skylight that you would see today. This skylight was about 30 by 20. It was huge. Um, Love it. I mean, just that integration with nature, just like the lake house, I mean, was so, right. so, so classic to the, the modernist type. But they couldn't get a crane back to the house to put that skylight in so they used helicopters so <laughs> <laughs> is the solution that's amazing um so design without limitation right um <laughs> we had um a huge library table that was made out of um walnut uh in the middle with big big comfortable chairs um mm. so uh, in all the rooms there were one two five bedrooms that came off of that and uh, like in a circle around the library. Yeah. And at the one end of the library and going into the dining room was a fountain. Um, and dad made a metal sculpture that would spin around in this fountain as the water hit it. It, would, it was very abstract looking. And then the water would run under the marble floors into the dining room. So you had to get on stepping stones to get into the dining room. There was no way to walk <laughs> into the dining room unless you were coming from the kitchen. And it's um, a fairy tale. I mean, so, it's incredible. Really, <laughs> and I mean, it was the scene of a lot of accidents. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, going well, in and out some, of the dining some room, right? Some, you know, like right, when you had right. friends over and you wanted to really get them going, you can say, 
you know, chase me and then they go flying into the <laughs> pond, which, because uh, there was a collection pond between the fountain, uh, you know, and there were fish in the pond and, the, and then you stepped into the dining room. Wow. Uh, and the, after about a year of living with this um, sculpture that spun and dad say, everyone's getting up to go to the bathroom all the time. Well, it turns out, <laughs> you know, fountains make you want to pee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. they sure do <laughs> which is why they use them at sporting events in the olympics you know they, right. that's why they have water running constantly <laughs> to get the samples so you but, so you drink more yeah. uh, more so beer turn the, yeah. the fountain off you know we kept the sculpture we turned the fountain off um and the fish swam everly did that connect also into the the pool or was that totally no separate? that was okay. the second half of the house and i wasn't oh, wow. living there when they did that but he built um they they really enjoyed just a pool. So he yeah. built an indoor pool, which had a photography studio for my mother, another two-car garage, and two two changing rooms and two bedrooms. Wow. And um, that skylight, I don't know how big that was, but that took two helicopters to lift. Into <laughs> well, I guess once you figured out how to place the first one, right? It's, you might as well. <laughs> but they they liked wow. um, they liked warm water, so they kept the pool at ninety degrees. Ooh, bathy! And yeah, <laughs> that as nice as it is is very destructive to a house. Back in the days, they didn't make these air handling systems sure. that took all that moisture sure. out of there. And he had, I think it was redwood, probably I'm not sure, but that was the basis of of Framing. the interior. And when I went to sell that house after they passed away, yeah, um, that was all rotted, and um, mm-hmm. you know, water was just like oozing out of it. Right, and, right. Uh, yeah, some yeah. things you do well, some things not quite so well. <laughs> hey, look! Now it sounds like you know so much decision making and and fun. Oh, absolutely fun! We we had a lot of fun. Always, always, our Christmas parties were. Um, they like to entertain and yeah. Christmas was a special good time. And typically two to 300 people would come through the house at Christmas and a dad liked to bake wow. cookies. So he would make roll out all the dough and then have them cut out and on baking sheets and people would come through and decorate them. And then they'd go on to the ice cream bar, have an ice cream and, <laughs> and eventually get through the house. Um, and that's, that's sort of when I took up with the cooking and entertaining. Yeah. And, yeah. And, uh, yeah. You had those built-in built-in private parties. That's that's amazing. Um, w- one thing I am curious about is um, licensing. I feel like I I continue to learn a little bit more, and I feel like you know all different families approach it in sort of a different way, right? It sounds like some um, of his designs might be available f- through restoration hardware. That's correct. Is that right? And and this was all new to us. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, yeah. Just curious how it works. Said, you know establish yourself as the authority and yeah. you know you're dealing with all these daily letters and everything and one day i get this letter from a very nice uh, woman at restoration hardware and she said yeah. their owner i've forgotten his name at this point but um said is infatuated with your father um what are the possibilities of licensing this wow mm-hmm. you asking me am i do i am i the guy my brother and my sister i said do you have any interest in this and they said yeah it might be my lunch money (laughs) and um the hardest part was actually finding um a piece that one they 
they thought that they could sell, you know, yeah. fit into their sort of thing. Yeah. And, uh, and then actually getting an original um, of the one they liked, which right. was um, harder than we thought. And sure. so we spent about a year. They, they actually paid for several pieces that were sent to them saying from their current owners, Oh, this is an original Adrian Pearsall piece without asking me or, Oh. I may not have known, but anything. Right. Uh, but and they go to the trouble of you know, sending it to their people to make and <laughs> yeah. redo and everything. And that's not Adrian Pearsall. <laughs> you know, he didn't design that piece, you know. And, wow. and but we eventually uh, landed on four pieces that were all original. Um, they're you, you can't ask for a better relationship. Um, we don't talk to them. Great to we, hear. Yeah. You know, they just we thought we kind of run um, our course with them. Yeah. Um, with the four pieces that he did, um, they did phenomenally well. And um, then we, they, you know, buyers come and go, you know, yeah. people come and go. And um, my brother was the contact with them. And sure. I said to him, I said, you know, do you think they're ever going to do anything else with this? He's, I don't know. Like three days later, later, a letter comes. Yeah. You know, we'd like to do some chairs. We'd like, you know, we're investigating this. So it is an ongoing, ongoing relationship. That's great. Um, and, and naturally we wanted to make it exclusive with them. Yeah. We trusted them and really not interested in licensing it to anyone else at this yeah. point. I, I don't know what would happen. You know, my children <laughs> or whatever might sure. want to do, but um, right now it's a very, very excellent relationship. That's great to hear. And it, it's great to hear. You know that it sounds like it came from a place of of true interest, not mm -hmm. necessarily just not commercial sales. interest. Not just, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. that's awesome, and and it, it's uh, I'm glad to hear that you were able to, for the most part, outside of you know some some of the brand names potentially, but you were able to navigate that successfully because it's if you've if you've never done it before right and, right. and you don't have the right team potentially and, and or the right lawyer understands the nuances of how some of this stuff works it's i mean it's it easy was, to make it mistakes was, it was so typical of the way my father worked and what we did i remember after they've been making it for maybe a year and a half and I, I said to my brother you know what is our commission on this you know <laughs> <Where> are we <laughs> getting it? Yeah. Said, i don't know i don't know. we couldn't find the contract <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, and, I agree. Uh, and, and, you know, it's it's just like you said a little bit, um, you know, you, you sort of realized the house was special, but it, it was sort of what you knew, right? You, that was the same thing with your father, I'm sure. Right. This is what we knew. We knew these designs. They were familiar. And so I'm sure it's hard to have that, you know, sort of collector outside perspective that is, is so um, interested in collecting this stuff sometimes. Um, so you don't realize it might be valuable and then, no. then maybe one day comes and says, Hey, where's that lunch money? I, or I wish I had, <laughs> I, need <that>. some, <laughs> I need some ice cream, right. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's, that's so special. Um, no, I, I think, uh, we, we've covered a lot and, and I, I really appreciate it. You know, you see, one, of, one of your questions that I love, yeah. um, and, and it's very specific to furniture is sure. about, um, fabrics. Oh yeah, yeah. I I would love to. And you mentioned that earlier, which is great. Um, you know how sort of there was more choices over time. Was that a specific interest of, uh, of your I, father's? I think you know when I kind of came into the salesman part of it. Um, mm -hmm. I my dad would complain about salesmen all time, all the time because he'd say, "Oh, they want it six inches shorter." Or they New York needs silks, and Miami needs this, and 
Chicago mm-hmm. says, oh, we're more traditional out here, you know, yeah. and it's just, I want to make it the way I think it should be. Yeah. And I don't need 150 fabrics. Um, and yep. I, I you that. know, his sales force, I have to give all the credit to his sales force. They, they kept it up and they said, look, you might be able to sell that in Chicago, but not in New York. I need New York fabrics. And, right. um, the, when I was in Florida, when I was selling it, um, you know, I was seeing a lot of silks and, um, some other flashy fabrics that maybe he wouldn't have used or something right, like that. Right. And he got tired of hearing it. He said, why don't you come to Dallas with me when we meet with all of our fabric suppliers Sure. and see how hard this is. <laughs> and, um, yeah, he, he was going to show me that, you know, I didn't know what I was doing basically, <laughs> you know, in a nice way, you know, you come, sure. you come and pick out these fabrics and tell me what to do. Right. So I said that I'm only, uh, a, I only a lesson Florida. Here. I don't know what they need in New York, but I will tell you what we need in Florida. Yeah. And it's it's a process that I was not accustomed to, but yeah, you know, you're in I was your showroom and you're in your the furniture showroom and appointments are made months in advance. And these poor guys come in with carts and carts and carts of fabrics, one the pattern and then all the colors of the pattern. Right. And you, you can't possibly buy all of them and, you know, <laughs> do, and, and do them. Um, and at the end of the day, I would have such a headache because there's a lot of good fabrics out there. And, and yeah. there were companies that I'm not even sure are, are around anymore, like David and Dash and some others. And, um, uh, and then the old standbys. You know, the, and then plus we also did customers' own materials. Sure. Um, oh, right, right. Um, right. Which is but, a little bit more, I'm sure, uh, it, if – it sounds like from your dad's perspective, you know, he wanted to to help make the decisions, which I agree. I I think there's too much choice in this world sometimes, right? And so that's you, you that got, was definitely his opinion. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, if you don't like it, don't buy it. Right. Know, kind of. <laughs> right. Totally. Uh, um, but when when there can be a collaboration right. with a a potential owner, and maybe they you know are able to have a conversation about it or something, you know that that becomes more of um. Uh, a process of making something better than just, you know, unnecessarily having 20 fabrics to choose from. Yeah. Right. And, and, and again, you know, as, as much as he really disliked working with buyers, you know, um, from Bloomingdale's or wherever, um, he understood that they had a market that yeah. they wanted to, they wanted to sell his furniture and right. they, they knew better than he did what people in Washington buy or in Seattle buy or sure. whatever. And, um, I, I, it was a good lesson. And, yeah. um, so that was that. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, in the long term, and maybe DC, if you have a collector's perspective here, in the long term, I would imagine that being prescriptive about that in the moment uh, made things more and more timeless, probably more and more recognizable. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But like this chair behind me, um, that's the original fabric, a little faded, but I, I would not change it. Yeah. Right. It's just, I think it's more valuable that way. Right. It's, it's no, rare it's for a lot of fabrics, um, the boucles, the wools and whatnot, tend to be fairly durable. Uh, the certain nylon versions of those will last forever. But the one thing about having a limited range of fabrics, of course, is that it automatically dispenses with the trend of the time. You're not going to go with whatever was hot and trendy. It's not going to be a lime green or you know, fluorescent orange fabric yeah. because that's hot right now. Right. And that's not going to stand the test of time. 
Uh, and do you, when you do have the classic fabrics, and if they do hold up, that's yeah. always a premium to a collector, for sure. Yeah. Um, and actually, it's it's fun to see a chair done in a very 60s fabric that would have only existed in that time. Yeah. But it's not necessarily a chair you would put in your home uh, <laughs> to fit with what you have. But uh, as an academic piece, they're interesting. But, uh, you know, you need the classics and you stick with the limited palette that is the classics. It's not limited. I shouldn't say limited. No, it's not. The vers versatile palette that right. is yeah. the classics. Yeah. Um, so, Jim, just to just to wrap it up here, I was curious if you had, if you had potentially a top two or three of your your father's designs that you might have liked the best, maybe outside of the Slim Jim, because you're, you're <laughs> it was your namesake, right? <laughs> Oh gosh, I I like his really early his very first pieces, the iron pieces. Okay, they're cool. they're incredibly simple, um, and um, you know the the classic gondola sofa I like. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of chairs that he did much towards the end that were he he um, he hated an uncomfortable piece of furniture. He said, if you can't sit in it, if you don't enjoy being in it, it what's it about? I mean, he right. wasn't making museum pieces. Yeah. And, um, yeah, they all look comfortable. They are. <laughs> that's, that's, although that's for sure. they're, yeah. they're kind of small by today's standards, I would say, you know, they're not a big overstuffed chair or anything. Yeah. Um, and they were low. Um, and I'm almost 70 now. And I find my back creaking trying to get into that <laughs> chair a little bit, but, um, uh, gotta go slow. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> I did that with my Eames chair too. I, you know, and you know, he's into it. Creaks getting out of bed. <laughs> <laughs> the the, the uh, armless sofas with the end tables. You know, you can yeah. pretty much only face one direction or lie down on it. You know that. Yeah. You know, mm. Oh, that's true. Um, that's true. Uh, so, but I love those pieces. I you know, every time I see, it, I I know immediately. You know, yeah. it's his or someone else's. Yeah. yeah, you've got you've got the eye. You are the you are the source. <laughs> and, I, and I like the wood. I, you know, I don't, yeah. I think one of your questions was, you know, did he handcraft this? Did he, you know, sure. sand it and everything? Dad was really about making furniture affordable for the masses. That's how you yeah. make money, right? Yeah. And, you know, you don't make money. That balance of, of quality and scale, I think. Right. Yep. And he wanted to get as many of those out in a day as he could and on, sure. on the railroad cars leaving the factory. And, um, he spent more time packing railroad cars than he did designing furniture. And he wanted to make sure every last piece got on there. Right, right. Um, no, that's that's the business, right? And I think right. that's probably what it was interesting. We had a conversation with uh, an expert in Paul McCobb's designs, mm -hmm. which are, I would say, probably sounds mm -hmm. similar to the your your dad's earlier stuff um, with some of the iron sort of simple simplified designs. But um, we learned there that Paul McCobb really didn't have or own a manufacturing company, but he really just sort of licensed his designs or worked with partners to get these made. And it's so interesting to hear that that was really the opposite with your father. And he really came to, you know, spend a lot of time on that to ensure probably Q and a, um, or quality assurance. Right. And, um, and the ability to, to get these things out once they were, um, you know, fully, fully baked, which is, you know, occasionally I'm, different. On, I'm online and, and looking at all these critiques of different designers and everything. And sometimes I'll read reviews of like Adrian Pearsall, you know, he was a copy artist. He was a, um, you know, made cheap furniture and I'm going, well, yeah, 
Yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> that's how he got wealthy. You right, know, there, he, there is it, a reality. Sure, it was sure, made sure. well, but it was made for the masses. I mean, right. it, it wasn't sold at Sears, but it was sold at you know, um, yeah, tier two, else, pretty much. <laughs> right, know? right, right. And um, I well, think- and and honestly, I don't think I realized, um, you know, the scale to the point where they could have been one of the largest employer, employer. the largest employer yeah. in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, that is to me, I still, you know, and I'm, I'm sort of still early in my, my love and, and collection. Um, but his designs, in my opinion, are a bit more boutique, but the fact that they were made for that mass market and, and were accessible in that way, um, to me is, is, is great to hear, right? You, you got more in different hands and, right. and, um, you know, people were able to experience it. It was interesting. Today, I was doing an open house, and this family came in, uh, and I think their son was about 14 years old, and he saw a, a lantern that was sort of mid-century yeah. in the house, and he said, oh, I love that light. And I said, oh, you're a mid-century fan? And he said, yeah. And I said, you might know this name, but you know, would you know Adrian Pearsall? And he says, oh, and he's flipping out. <laughs> no way. <Yeah>. 14? <laughs> 14. That's yeah. incredible. That's great to hear. I mean, that's, that's, that's how I, um, you know, I think we, we kind of found the motivation to do this and talk about it right in, in an order to drive more education about this. And I, I really, and I, I think DC and Greg feel the same way. I think it's kind of just beginning. And I think that we need to do a good job of packaging some of this up. And so people recognize certain designs as, you know, mid-century or mid-century modern, and it is, and it is celebrated. Right. In a mm-hmm. big way. I mean, you know, I've, I've had some conversations recently about sort of the perceptions of America, uh, maybe from an, an outer viewpoint or different countries. And it's like, I'd like the perception to be a, you know, modernist architecture. And uh, because that was really novel, right. During that, during that post-war war period and helped to define what America was oh, at that but, time. I mean, America led the way in post-war, post-war architecture. Right. It was the thing that most people... For at least 15, 20 years, I mean, you look to America for the inspiration before other, certainly in Europe, they were rebuilding after the, after the war. So right. something about a, a fine design was less important than just getting stuff built. Right. Uh, but after that, it was, you know, people were importing into the Riviera, uh, California, mid-century modern, essentially because of the similar climates. Yeah. Um, but quickly into that, there became that rarefied notion that design was fine. So therefore, <laughs> you know, it was going to be into the upper echelons of society where they'd have superstar architects for <clears throat> excuse right. me architecture and design and but you do have art you do have developers like joseph eichler adrian pearsall yeah. Tom, yeah. who are saying no good design is a good solution right everybody deserves a good solution you need a comfortable chair here's a great piece of design it's the solution to your problem of needing a good chair same yeah. for architecture and you need more of that and you certainly need more of that now we don't yep. need more imports of cheaply made or copied furniture from some other place. It should be something that you can take pride in that this is locally designed, this is locally yeah. made, or at least nationally designed and nationally made. It's woefully missing right now. And I often think sometimes there's two schools of mid-century modern, uh, as far as collectors and fans go. Those who simply love the aesthetic, that's great. But those who are nostalgic, on the other side, those who are nostalgic, for that time period where yeah. there was choice yeah. even at the like the middle consumer level and 
again, woefully missing that. We're woefully missing another Adrian Pearsall. Just my personal point of view. Most people don't may not care, but I am not one of those people. (laughs) It's astounding to me how much furniture costs these days. So much of it is overseas, and which is why I eventually got out of the industry. I I just you know I I couldn't compete. You know I I was selling to department stores, but I was like it just wasn't. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's changed probably the last 20, 30 years, the furniture industry having to, you know, whether it's dealing with copy cats or just the, the type of manufacturing, right. The, the, the anti benchmade, you know, where every, there's just lines and lines of furniture that are, you know, individual pieces are being made instead of, um, one artisan coming together, you know, making decisions about what's best for the piece and then assembling that piece sort of all at once. Um, you know, I think I think that's really important. There's pockets of people doing it well in the US and and I'd say, you know, North America. Um, but we we need more. And I think, you know, we've DC, you know, we've aligned on that number of times. We want to see more Adrian Pearsalls, right? <laughs> Making purposeful yeah. decisions about, you know, what this piece should look like, what this piece should be, you know, actually good question. Um, were, were any of the woods or the lumbers, you know, were those like local relationships in, in Pennsylvania or, you You know, know, West Virginia? My father's, um, knowledge of wood came from his father who owned a lumber yard after he got out of school. Cool. Um, I don't know how much he knew about that. Uh, or I, I think, Walnut was one of those things that was available yeah. and fairly easy to shape, I guess. I really don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, it's, fu- uh, it's funny what you learned. He never worked in any other way. He worked, you know, at Comfort Designs, we did a lot of iron, um, mm-hmm. and, which was very popular, iron beds and um, things like that, uh, castings. Yeah. Um, It's funny what you learn. There's so many, you know, I'm sure in real estate as well, the amount of extensions and and bits of knowledge that you learn, right. As a result of, you know, going through and whether it's preparing for, um, you know, a a conversation or a showing, right. But you got to know that in this house, in the fifties, this material was used and it's going to last or it's not going to (laughs) last. And it's immediately recognizable. And and as you know, in mid-century modern, I mean, some of the houses were built are falling apart today because they weren't particularly well built or windows leaked or skylights leaked or, you know, it's it's endemic in mid-century. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why you need those, you know, passionate, this probably next generation of passionate owners and, and caretakers of some of this stuff, um, which I'm, I'm trying to be one myself at some point, certainly. And, uh, you know, and just recommend that people really start paying attention. Um, the, the, the last thing here, we have been trying to ask more consistently, is there anybody you would nominate for us to have on the, on the show that you might be able to either put us in touch with, or you might have a relationship with? I'm afraid most of the ones that I know are gone. Um, uh, I was just asking John Graham, the guy that owned Comfort Designs. Yeah. He's still making furniture. And he could really? tell you stories about my father that I'm not privy to. And um, probably the furniture industry at, at yeah. certain points. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, would be great. Yeah. Actually, I hadn't even thought of it, thought of him. until just as I said that, I said he would be great because he could tell you stories that, you know, I just don't know all the stories. Sure. I always um, like talking to another sales guy. Yeah. <laughs> as you can tell. 
but John was, John was, you know, the business, uh, that really got comfort designs going. He had the interest, uh, or the, the foresight to sure. bring my father into it. And, yeah. uh, it was a great, they, they had a great relationship and, uh, now I bet I bet if he found that napkin and framed it, <laughs> now that would that be a collector's item, right? <laughs> you know, I think the the one thing I, w- I want to say about my dad is, yeah, he did not have an ego, but you know, I don't think most of the designers in this business do. Um, the ones that I've met, I mean, George yeah. Nakashima. Mean, every market in High Point, Dad would take me with him and kind of like lead me to the Nakashima. I didn't know who he was, you know, sure. but he was as nice as he could be to me. Yeah. Um, uh, and I, I, there are probably others I don't even remember their names. It could have been Paul Evans, and I didn't know it, you know. <laughs> right. But uh, I, which is uh, so cool. I mean, it, and and they would just roam the halls in High Point. It's basically showroom after showroom. After showroom. Some had glass windows. Some he had to get mm-hmm. into. Um, and, uh, go in and shake hands twice a year, say, hi, mm-hmm. how you doing? Um, there were people that worked for my dad, left my father and went and started their own businesses. Um, salesmen that, you know, uh, yeah. all good people, all successful people, yeah. but all had a common denominator of I'm going to work hard and see if this, like throw it up against the wall and see if it sells. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I feel very lucky to um, have met so many modest people who have furnished America. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's a great way to put it. That's yeah. beautiful. And I, I feel like I could probably see, you know, your dad not wanting to hang out with the business people and maybe going to hang with Paul or, or George he actually, and <laughs> compare he, notes. <laughs> he had a chair that was behind a screen in our showroom and he'd fall asleep for most of the day. And he said, don't come get me. Just don't come. You know, that buyer from Wanamaker, I, I, you know, just he'll want to have dinner with me tonight and I don't want to have dinner. Right. 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 <laughs> Not unless you're cooking Jim. Right. And I bet, I bet it was a comfy chair. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Jim, thank you so much. We pleasure. really appreciate the time. Um, such wonderful. great stories here. And uh, you know, I, I just, uh, I, I can't thank you enough. Well, thanks for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. What beautiful stories Jim told about their family, incredible homes Adrian helped design, and how their businesses evolved and grew so organically. Adrian seemed to always design with purpose, quality, and accessibility in mind. And that's why we're able to enjoy so many of his designs today. And if you have one, Go get it authenticated by Jim.